All right, good morning. So we are wrapping up a summer sermon series called Road Trip, and today we get to talk about back to work. Everybody's favorite words, right? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, these words are especially pertinent to some of us here, especially if you're a student, you're back to the work of studying and learning and writing papers and the like. If you're a teacher, it's back to work. Uh, back to school for someone like me in campus ministry. This is a very hectic and exciting time. It's back to work. Um, For others of you, this is just a week like any other week, maybe. But any time is a good time to talk about work. Uh, It's one of the most important components of many of our lives. And one of our core values here at The Journey is to be relevant. And can't think of anything much more relevant than to talk about work and how Jesus might play a role in that, since work is one of the things that consumes a great deal of our time and emotional energy and, and our whole lives. Uh, and another of our core values here at The Journey is to be biblical and to let the Bible be sort of our roadmap for, for life and faith. And so we'll just dive right in this morning and start talking about a biblical view of work. Biblical view of work, or biblical approach to work. One way we could think about that question is to just sort of look through the whole Bible and pull out various places where it addresses work directly, Uh, and the Bible has a ton to say about work, and to do that would really require a whole series, a whole sermon series to meaningfully address all that the Bible says about work and the various angles from which it it approaches work. So I'm going to look at this a different way. When I think about a biblical approach to work, I want to think about where in the big story of the Bible does work fit? To think about the Bible as a kind of one large narrative, which it is, and to think about, well, where does work fit in that? And to help us understand our work in light of the overarching biblical story. So we'll do that this morning. Um, If I could summarize the story of the Bible in 30 seconds... Uh, which doesn't fully do it justice, but a 30-second summary of the Bible, it would be this. Um, Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. It's four fancy words. So creation, God created the world and he made it good. He made everything good. The fall, humans rebelled against God and his leadership and lordship over the world and that brought sin into the world, which has had massive ramifications and affected every area of life, including work. But God is in the business of redemption. We could not rescue ourselves out of the fall, but God has been in the business of redemption, centrally in the person of Jesus Christ, who reconciles us to God, makes our relationship with God right, and in turn makes us agents of redemption in the world. And then finally, Jesus will come again to make all things new and to make all things right, and the fancy word for that is consummation. So there's your your 30-second summary, more or less. And that's the story that we're living in. That's the story through which followers of Jesus really ought to try to understand everything about our lives. That's the story we're living in, and we want to understand our work in light of that story. Where does work fit, and what does work have to do with it? So we'll just kind of go through each of these four components, because if we lose our bearings in this story, and if we lose sight of any of these four key elements, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, we'll fail to thrive at work in the ways that God intends for us to thrive. But to really understand and grasp all four and how they fit together will help us to thrive as God intends us to thrive in our work. So we'll just start with creation. We'll open up to the very beginning of the Bible, and we'll notice that work is right there. Work was right there from the beginning. Work is as basic to the created order as anything else in all the world. So if you look with me at Genesis chapter 2, the very beginning of chapter 2, 
verse two. This kind of is the culmination of the account of God creating the universe, creating the world, creating us. So Genesis two, two and three, says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So one thing to notice right off the bat is that God works. Three times in these two short verses, work is attributed to God. God is a God does work. That's pretty profound, and it has big implications. So not all uh, worldviews believe this. The ancient Greeks believed that their gods were gods who were kind of at a distance. They lived lives of leisure. They didn't want to have anything to do with work. Work would be beneath them. It's not something gods would do. Gods were to just sit back and, and take it easy. And that has implications for what it means to to be like God, to be godly, to be godlike. You know, if gods are not supposed to work and to just be detached and leisurely, then that kind of says a lot about what it means to to become godly and to live the good life. Like that picture of what the good life is, is a detached and leisurely life. It doesn't get its hands dirty and it's not full of work. That's very different from the biblical account because God, the real living God who made the universe and made us, works. He's a God who does work and is not afraid to get his hands dirty. And lots of other deities that people have come up with over the centuries and over the years have involved gods that are pretty detached and and maybe lazy and and just don't like to work. That's not a godlike thing to do. But we need to understand that our God is a God who does work. And then that means a lot for what it means to be made in God's image. So the, the creation account also says that human beings were made in the image of God. And therefore, part of what that means for us to be human is that we work. Work is core to who we are as human beings. It's core to what it means to be human. We see it right in the beginning. And skipping down a little further in Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. We were made to work. Work is right there at the very beginning of our creation as human beings. We were made for a a rhythm of work and rest. A few weeks back, Pastor Tom talked about Sabbath, and he talked about this rhythm of meaningful work and meaningful rest. And we see it right here in the beginning, in the creation account. God worked for six days, rested on the seventh, and then later on he commands people, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh you shall rest. We were made for a rhythm of meaningful work and meaningful rest. And notice the the ratio. It's not work one day and rest six, and it's not even half and half. It's six days you'll do your work, and one day you'll rest. Now, a lot of us in America have a problem with with resting one day at all, and if that's you, I'd refer you back to Pastor Tom's sermon on the podcast on, on rest. But six days to do your work and one day to rest. Work is to be a significant part of life, not just you know, a small part of life. It's a significant part of life. It is just part of life, but it's a really important one. Six days to do your work, seven days to rest. A lot of us can kind of just live for the weekend, to live for the rest. We think that work is just sort of a a necessary evil that we've got to get through to get to the end of the day or to get to the next weekend or the next vacation or ultimately to get to retirement, hallelujah. But work is a significant part of 
of life and what it means to bear the image of God. It's not just a necessary evil. And that leads to one final observation from the creation account, which is that work was a part of paradise. Work was a part of paradise. Work was there in the Garden of Eden. I don't know what image comes to your mind when you hear the word paradise. For me, it's generally images that have nothing to do with work. I'm not working in paradise. But that's not what the Bible says. Work was a part of paradise, if you can imagine. Work was there in the beginning, which means, again, work is not just a necessary evil. Work is not an unfortunate accident. Work's not a, a, a curse or a byproduct of the fall. Work in and of itself is good. It's a good thing. You know, we won't fully thrive at work in the ways God intends us if we see it as a, something we've just got to get through, an unnecessary you know, part of life or a necessary evil, a grind. It's a good thing in and of itself. And we tend to measure the value of work in terms of what we get out of it. We see work as a means to other ends. And so work has value to the extent that we get these other ends, whether it be money, financial security, uh, status, acclaim, recognition, achievement, accomplishment. To the degree that we're getting all these things out of work, then we find that work is valuable. But really, to understand the, the roots of work, to understand creation, work in and of itself is good. The act of working in and of itself has value, regardless of the outcome, regardless of what we get out of it. Working has value. Just the act of working, the act of, of using our minds, the act of using our hands, the act of designing, the act of creating, the act of contributing to a process, the act of managing, the act of leading, the act of following, the act of being on a team, the act of, of just producing, designing, whatever it may be, just the act of working in and of itself has tremendous value regardless of the outcome. So really, the work of, you know, even work that's unpaid, like studying, or changing diapers, or running a household, has value in God's sight every bit as much as work that makes lots of money with large salaries and large signing bonuses. Work that's done sort of invisibly and never gets recognized or never gets noticed by the outside world has value in God's sight every bit as much as work that makes headlines and wins awards. Just the act of working in and of itself has value as part of what it means to be human, made in the image of God, because God is a God who works. And it's important to remember God's intention for work was good and work was a part of paradise. However, I think we all know that the story doesn't end there. We don't live in paradise anymore, and certainly none of us works in paradise That's the truth. The story does not end with creation, but there is what comes next in Genesis chapter 3, which is biblically what is known as the fall. It's a choice by human beings to disobey God, which fractures our relationship with him and has ramifications that permeate every area of life, including work. And work is, is explicitly named in some of the fallout from the fall. In Genesis 3, verse 17, God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, 
since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Dang. That's such a bummer after that beautiful picture of work in paradise, but now work is not like that anymore. Work has changed. We see it as it's painful toil by the sweat of your brow. Work is a struggle now. Work is hard all of a sudden. It, it's draining. It's depleting. It's, it's frustrating. It can be aggravating. I mean, does that describe anyone's experience of work ever? I mean, just work can be frustrating. It can be aggravating. It can be, uh, it can be fruitless. You can work really hard and just not get the results that you want. Work is, is under the curse now. That's too bad, but that is the reality. Now that sin is part of the picture. Work is, is painful toil, and it can be frustrating. We don't flourish in the ways that we were intended to in our work. It is important to note, though, that work itself is not the enemy here. Work itself is not the enemy. Now, we come up against the effects of the curse and the effects of the fall, and we find work hard, and we find it frustrating. We're tempted to just blame work. Think, oh, man, if only I didn't have to work, then I could flourish. Well, work itself is not the enemy. Sin is the enemy that affects our work. And so even if we weren't working, sin would still be there. So work itself is actually not the enemy. Remember, work was designed and created as a good thing, but it's corrupted by sin. Sin kind of attacks every part of our work. We work with and for people who are corrupted by sin. Our work environments are corrupted by sin. The systems and structures and bureaucracies and government agencies that we depend on to flourish and get our work done, they're corrupted by sin. Sure, I can get an amen to any of those things, but even most significantly, we ourselves are corrupted by sin, and we bring that to our work. Whether that's our, our laziness our, or our compulsion to overwork, whether that's our lack of integrity, our willingness to cut corners, or the ways that we can make an idol out of our work, or out of success, or out of money, or out of acclaim and recognition from other people, we bring all that stuff into our work. And our work is corrupted by sin. Therefore, it's important to know in the big story, there is no curse-free work anymore. No such thing as curse-free work, which is important to know. I don't want to generalize. This is true of a lot of people, but I notice this a lot in, in the sort of millennial generation that I work with. As I watch college students graduate and go on into the working world, there can be a, a temptation to sort of idealize work have this picture in our mind that, man, there's got to be this job out there that, that just hits the spot, that uses, uses all my gifts and talents in a way that I can be appreciated and flourish and thrive as a person, where I can make a difference and change the world. We kind of expect all these things to converge in our job. And when they don't happen, and when we come up against the effects of the fall, and work is frustrating, and work is hard, and we don't get appreciated, and we don't get recognized, and things don't pan out, we start to wonder, gosh, this must be some mistake. Maybe there's something else out. There's got to be something else out there. There's got to be a better job out there for me. This can't be it. And if we're Christians, we spiritualize all those questions and we say, oh gosh, I mean, maybe this isn't what God has for me. This isn't what God wants. God must surely have a better plan for my life than this. I mean, I thought that he provided this job. I thought he led me here, but it's been so hard. What if, maybe I heard God wrong. 
And so if we come up against the effects of the curse and the effects of the fall at work, it can create a crisis for us, and a crisis of faith in particular for followers of Jesus. Now, there are definitely times when God moves us on and where God wants to change our work situation, and God does have something different than, than what we're currently doing. But there's a, it's tempting to just idealize work and, and have sort of a holy grail out there for work that meets all of our needs and fulfills us so completely. And, and just you know, kind of aiming for that can keep us from thriving in the work that we're currently doing. There's going to be effects of the curse and effects of the fall. Oops. We struggled with this before the service began. It's the fall. fall. Microphones fall. Stuff we try to do when we're trying to get work done doesn't work. There is no curse-free work. So I have about as close to a dream job as you can get. I love it. I wake up every day with a sense of purpose. The job utilizes my gifts and my skills. I get get paid to do something that I'm really passionate about that I care about, and that makes a noticeable difference. And I have great coworkers. I have a boss who cares for me, spiritually even, cares for my well-being and my development. But even still, work's hard, and work is stressful. Work brings, bumps me up against the fall all the time, and I have every bit as much a tendency to make an idol out of my work as anyone else does. There is no completely curse-free work. We need to know that. We can't be naive about the curse, naive about the fall. We'll idealize work in such a way that we can't flourish right where we are. But it's important to know that the curse, while it is real and it can't be underestimated, it's not the end of the story. The curse is not the end of the story. You know, it could be tempting to idealize work by downplaying the curse or being naive about it, but we also can give the curse more weight than it should have. Yes, it's real. Yes, it's part of the story. But it's only part of the story. Curse is not the whole thing, and it's not the end of the story either. And if we lose sight of that, we could just despair. We could run into the effects of the curse. We could run into painful toil and hard, frustrating labor and just think, well, this stinks. You know, I guess I just have to do it until I die. There was a great song when I was in college bittersweet symphony. It's a a bittersweet symphony. That's life. Try to make ends meet. You're a slave to money. Then you die. That's kind of a picture of life, you know, if, if we're just left with the curse and then maybe the end. And there's not much to hope for in the meantime, but that's not at all what God has in mind. God is a God of redemption, a God who redeems what's lost, redeems what's broken, and redeems what's cursed. I was thinking as I prepared about different work experiences I had in my life, had a lot of different jobs, and one, one came to mind in particular. So at the end of my senior year of high school and through the summer before I left for college, I worked in this high-end men's clothing store. I was in the tuxedo rental department. And this place, I don't know why that's so funny, but um, I did. And this place was, it was dour. It was, in a word, I think it was grumpy. The boss was a grumpy man. He was kind of miserly, always nitpicking and yelling at people who could never do a good enough job. The, the salesmen would yell at the tailors who were busy in the back, you know, making alterations for very little money given the, the amount that the suits were selling for. So they weren't very happy. I didn't like it there at all. And, and more than once, um, people would pull me aside and go, 
you stay in school, kid. You don't want to end up here. And I'd think, you're darn right I don't want to end up here. Um, but sure enough, I ended up back there uh, second summer, at, uh, the summer after my freshman year. I need, still needed money. So I went back, and the place was exactly the same. But here's the thing. I was different. I was literally a new person because while I was away at school during my freshman year, I had actually come to Jesus. I'd come to faith in Jesus, and my life had been completely transformed by him. There's a scripture reference on your handout to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This was the first uh, verse that I really got to know as a new follower of Jesus. It really put into perspective what had happened to me. So in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That really, that's really a good summation of the gospel message. I mean, Jesus makes us new completely. And that's what happened to me. I was literally a new person when I came home for the summer. And there's an outward component to this as well. Not only are we reconciled to God, but he entrusts to us the message of reconciliation. So the redemption that we encounter personally through Jesus overflows into various areas of our lives, including work. So, so this was me, new me, coming into the old store where the guys still looked like this and they still told me to stay in school so that I wouldn't end up like them. New met old. And unfortunately, I found a lot of my old patterns reemerged when I stepped back into that store. My old bad attitudes towards work and towards people were popping up and I felt really challenged by God. No, this is not who you are anymore. You are literally a new person. And, and work that summer became the, the ground on which I lived out my new identity or learned to live it out. It was bumpy. But through it, through that summer, Jesus taught me a lot of things. Jesus began to change my attitude towards work itself. I began to work really hard, even when nobody was looking. I began to not just count down the minutes till the store closed and count down the days until I went back to school, but I, I gave it my best effort more days than not. He changed my attitude towards the job itself and towards the customers. So customers would get kind of testy, and, and the first summer, I would just go in the back room and talk trash about the customers. I can't stand these people, oh my gosh. But the second summer, God changed my heart towards the people and towards the work itself. I realized, you know, when people are getting ready to get married, it can be kind of stressful. You got a lot going on, tons to do, family drama, everyone converges on the place. And I realized, gosh, you know, if there's something wrong with the tux, that could be the thing that just sets everything off. And so I became determined that in this important season of people's lives, at least their experience in our store was going to be a peaceful experience. It was not going to add to their stress and it was going to help them flourish in one of the most significant times of their life. I cared about them all of a sudden. I cared about the work, and I cared about the store, and that it did well. I started to care more about people. Jesus changed my attitudes towards people. I mentioned that there were 
There was tailors that worked in sort of the back of the store. Sweatshop is kind of a strong word, but it's close. It was sweaty. And, and these people, I mean, without them, the store wouldn't, wouldn't exist. It wouldn't be able to, to thrive. But people didn't see them that way. And pe- some people didn't really see them at all, unless they made a mistake and a salesman would come back and yell at them, or something like that. They're really mistreated, mostly immigrant people, uh, grossly underpaid. And honestly, my first year working there, I hardly noticed them. Hardly noticed they were there. I only went into the back room if I really, really had to. But in, in my way of thinking, it made more sense to schmooze with the, the important people, quote-unquote, the people who made the money, the people who had connections and whatnot. I hardly went back there, but the second summer, Jesus was reshaping my heart. And suddenly, I started to spend a lot of time with the tailors. And wouldn't you know, a lot of them were Christians. A lot of them were really amazing, godly people. A lot of the things I learned about how to have a good attitude at work, I learned from them. And we had language barriers. We couldn't even always talk, but sometimes we'd write little notes with scripture references to each other and just pass them along throughout the day to encourage each other to kind of get through the week. They were my true brothers and sisters in that job. Before, they were invisible to me, but Jesus changed my heart and brought redemption to my work experience. But not only them, the tailors, but Jesus changed my heart towards my boss, the, the big kahuna who made everybody's lives miserable. Every, I mean, really, people hated this guy, and, and I, I did too. One morning I was reading in the Bible about something, you know, if someone asks you for your shirt, give them your tunic also. If someone asks you to walk one mile down the road, walk a second mile. And that really, I really tried to take that to heart in my workplace. And so then when my boss started to tell me to do something, I would respond kindly and say, okay, sure. Whereas before I would have been like, all right, and then rolled my eyes and gone off and you know, done whatever I had to do just to keep him off my back. But I had a whole new attitude now that Jesus was working out in me. He would tell me to do something, and I'd say, great, sure. And then I'd go and I'd do it as well and as fast as I could. And instead of waiting for him to come find me, I'd go find him. And I'd say, I'm done. Is there anything else I can do? And he'd say, uh, sure, do this, and same thing. And then finally I'd come back. He'd start running out of ideas. And he'd say, I, I don't know, go sweep the floor. So I'd go and I'd sweep the floor. And I'd come back to him and I'd say, the floor is clean. Is there anything else I can do? And he'd say, I don't know, just take a break. <laughs> and after a while I started to really mean it because Jesus was changing my heart. And, and he could tell. And one day in the break room, the boss actually came and sat with me and poured out his whole life story out of the blue. It was a painful story. It was a hard story. It started to make a lot of sense why he was the way that he was. And suddenly, I didn't just see him as the evil, mean, miserly boss like everyone else did, but I saw him as a human being who was hurting and who needed Jesus. And people could just tell that something was different. By the end of the summer, I'd gotten to share the story of how Jesus changed my life with just about everybody in the store. And we were genuinely sad to see me go back to school. Now, that was just one summer. It was just a few months. And again, it was bumpy. And I've carried plenty of bad attitude into plenty more jobs since then. But Jesus gave me a glimpse, a picture of redemption at work, of redemptive work. You know, I would had this new identity that he'd given me. And then work was the place where I learned to actually live it out. He was trying to 
do away with some of the old, some of my old patterns, my old attitudes. And work was the place where they were highlighted for me. And I had choices, different choices to make. Work was the place where I began to see what it looks like to be a redemptive presence in a place and to bring new life and to bring the gospel into a place that needs it, to people who need it. And that's what work can do. Redemptive work. The curse is not the end of the story. But there's three things about work I just want to highlight from my story. So one, work is one of the main arenas in which we live out our redeemed identity. We don't just live it out at church. It's not just a theoretical spiritual thing, but work is often the main place where we actually live out who we are in Jesus. Secondly, at work, God uses work to redeem our character. So much of our experience at work highlights the things in us that are just broken in so many ways. And we could see those as invitations from God for transformation. God uses work to redeem our character. And then finally, God works through us to bring redemption. In all kinds of ways, God can bring redemption to us and through us in our work. I was reading a great book recently by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. Great book about work. And he just lists a whole bunch of ways that God can redeem work and redeem us through our work. And you could really make a case from Scripture for any of these. So he just he lists a whole bunch. See if any of these might resonate with you as an invitation from God. One way yeah, is that our work can further social justice in the world. One way that God redeems our work is to, for us to be personally honest and to evangelize our colleagues. Maybe it's just to do skillful, excellent work. One way to serve God at work is to create beauty in the world. Another way is to work from a Christian motivation to glorify God. Another is to seek to engage and influence culture for Jesus. Another way is to work with a grateful, joyful, gospel-shaped heart through all the ups and downs of work. Another way is to just do whatever gives us the greatest joy and passion that God placed in us. And another way to encounter God at work is to make as much money as we can so we can be as generous as we can. Oh, that's appealing, isn't it? There's all these things you can make a case from Scripture for, and Keller cautions us against narrowing God's redemptive purposes at work down to just one or two of these. It's all of these, and it's more. Work could also be a place where Again, we learn to have better integrity and not cut corners and make more ethical choices. It could be a place where we learn to please God and rest in his affirmation for us rather than work for the approval of others. It's all kinds of ways God can redeem us and redeem the world through our work. It's important not to limit it to just some of those things, but to imagine God could use all of these ways. And for some of us in different seasons of life, in different stations of life, some of these might really be more to the fore than than others. Sometimes our work really does contribute to the improvement of our city and the, the betterment of our world, the redemption of our city. Sometimes we're in a season where we really are working in, in the shadows, and it's a chance to learn Uh, how God feels about us regardless of our accomplishments. Sometimes God really does put people, fellow workers or fellow students across our path for such a season as to use us to share the gospel with them. It's all kinds of things. But just let your imagination run wild. And don't limit what God can do. God has big dreams for how he can redeem you and redeem your workplace and redeem the world through your work. 
The curse is far from the end of the story. And we need to have a redemptive vision for our work or we're missing God entirely because he has a redemptive vision for us and for our work. Guarantee it. And finally, I'll just talk briefly about this last one, consummation. So this is when Jesus comes to make all things new and redeem all things. And just touch on it briefly because Pastor Tom did a great job last week talking about living with eternity in mind. I'd refer you back to it. He talked out of the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. But just in terms of how this relates to work, one thing Pastor Tom said last week is that living with eternity in mind is a call to live a holy and godly life. And that just doesn't mean coming to church and it doesn't mean just reading your Bible and saying your prayers. It, it pertains directly to work, to live a holy and godly life in the place where God has called us to work. But a couple other things I'd highlight in terms of this part of the story. You know, if we lose part of this part of the story, that Jesus is coming again to redeem all things, we can fail to thrive in our work. One thing we need to know, well, let me refer back to 2 Peter 13 real quickly. 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. We need to know that this life is not all that we have. If this life was all that we had, we could go one of two ways. One, we could just overwork. We could, real, we could think, this is the, my only chance to make a difference. This is my only chance to be somebody. My only chance to make my mark. And then we'd do whatever we had to do to do that, even if at the expense of others. And we'd probably get frustrated when our dreams didn't come true. And work is a place of such disappointment for so many of us. If we did an exercise as a little kid where we imagined what we wanted to be when we grew up and all the things that we wanted to do, all the things we wanted to accomplish, very few of us ever get there. Work is a place for many of us of shattered dreams, of disappointment, of not being all that we wish we could be and all that we thought we could be. It's important to know that this life, though, is not all we have. This is not our only opportunity to be somebody But in Jesus, we could be somebody for all eternity. This is not our only opportunity to contribute. This is not our only opportunity to be affirmed and recognized. When Jesus comes again, those who are in him will be affirmed and recognized for all eternity. We don't have to despair if this life isn't accomplishing everything that we hoped it would. This life is not all we have in Jesus. We also need to know that all things will be made new. All things will be made new. You know, if if this life was all we had, we could again get frustrated at just the frustration of work, the fruitlessness of work, the fact that work just never accomplishes everything that we that we hoped it would. Our our youth leader here at the journey, Derek, he he works for the Worcester Tree Initiative. I think it's just awesome work. He and his team are repopulating Worcester with trees to restore our ecosystem that's damaged so much by beetles and ice storms to make it a a flourishing environment in which to live. And as many trees as he plants, though, there's still beetles and still trees getting cut down. And there's still always things, as long as we're living in this urban environment, in this broken urban environment, that will damage the ecosystem and that will make things not flourish. Now, he could give up. He could think, well, then what's the point? But we're looking forward to a day when all things are made new. We'll be living in a city... Revelation tells us, 
where there are trees and they flourish. They never die. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But it's amazing. And the tree of life will be there at the center of the city. A lot of you work in medicine. A lot of you, or you study medicine. And it's great, makes wonderful contributions. But no matter how many patients you treat, no matter how many patients you cure, death and disease still reign supreme in this world. Everyone's still going to die, and disease uh, just ravishes so many lives. Would you give up? Do you think, well, then what's the point? We have a redemptive story we're a part of where actually we will live in a world one day where there is no disease and there is no death. Our work is sowing into that. It's an investment in that. It's a foretaste and an announcement of what's to come. It is not fruitless and it's not pointless. And we ourselves, we look at ourselves and sometimes uh, Jesus redeems our character at work, but sometimes we're just stuck in these old patterns. We just can't stop worshiping our work. We can't muster up a good work ethic. We can't love our neighbor and treat people the same. We just run up against these old patterns over and over again. And we just might be tempted to give up. But we will be made new completely. So the work God is doing in us, in our work now, it's not in vain, it's not pointless, but it is part of a story that will have a good end in him. It's a pretty epic story that we're a part of that Jesus is writing. Starts with creation, is damaged by the fall, but is full of redemption and will one day come to complete redemption when he comes again. And it's important to know that our work is very much a part of that story at the heart and at the center of that story. It's not something we just have to endure along the way until Jesus comes to get us. But he's at work now rewriting our stories, redeeming us and redeeming the world and our workplace environments through us. I just want to pray that he'd give us vision for how that is true for you and me right now where we are. So pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of work. For some of us, that might be really hard to do right now. But we thank you for the good gift of being made in your image to exercise what it's like to be made in your image. We thank you for the gift of the work that you've given us to do. And we pray, Lord, you'd expand our imaginations, you would open our eyes, and you would give us vision for redemptive work for how you're redeeming us, for how we can live out our identity in you and the work we're doing, and how our work can be a redemptive agent, redemptive force in the world. Teach us, Lord. Help us not despair. Help us not give up. Help us not look to work as our Savior either, to look to you as our Savior. And Father, I just pray for any work-related needs we have right now. Anyone in this room who's actually looking for work. I pray you'd provide meaningful work for them to do. For people who are in places of transition and discernment about what to do, I pray you'd provide direction and guidance and providentially open doors for them. For those of us, Lord, who have real tough situations that we're thinking of in our work, tough relationships, 
or anything that discourages us, Lord, would you speak a fresh word into our lives right now? Would you give us hope for what you're doing in and through us and make us a church that really uh, is a redemptive force all across this city and this region as we go to work. In Jesus' name, amen.